Welcome to Our Wee Podcast with Susie Briggs and Alan McClure. In this episode, the Magic Porridge Pot, Wheesht, Ricky and the Pirates, and the Bahuki Sang. Hope you enjoy it, folks. The Magic Porridge Pot Once upon a time there was a wee lassie called Mary that stayed with her mother in a village. Their house was dinky and they had no much in it. They were awfully poor and often went hungered. Yen day, wee Mary's belly was rumbling and she decided to go into the woods. She was going to forage for berries and nuts, but she couldn't find any. She sat down on a log and started to greet. <laughs> Suddenly, out of nowhere, a kid old wifey appeared and sat down aside her. What's the matter, wee hen? speared the old woman. A kind old soul. I'm fed up of being hungered, and, and I want my mammy to be happy. I can she doesn't like being so poor. The old woman gave Mary a wee cuddle and said, No, Denny fash yourself. I hae something to gie ye that'll make sure you and your mammy didn't gan hungered again. The old woman got up, leaned down ahead the log, and pulled up an iron cooking pot. See this, she says. This is a magic porridge pot. You have to say these magic words to muck it work. Are you listening? Aye, says Mary. To muck it work, you say, Cook, cook wee porridge pot. Muck me some porridge. Piping hot. And then, when you hear enough, you tell the pot, Stop, stop wee porridge pot. Nay mere porridge, please. That's the lot. Mary was fair happy and couldn't wait to get home to try it. She thanked the old woman and carried the magic porridge pot all the way back home. When she got there, she shouted on her mam to come and hear a look and she sat the magic porridge pot onto the stove. Mammy, mammy, look, I've got a magic porridge pot. A nice old woman gave it me. You put it on the stove and you say magic words. Watch. Cook, cook wee porridge pot, muck me some porridge, piping hot. And sure enough, the pot started to sugar and fizz, and porridge started to appear at the bottom, and then it filled up the sides of the pot. Mary and her mother were so excited they could barely believe what they were seeing. The pot started bubbling, and a creamy, delicious smell filled the house. Mary got some bowls and spins ready. Then, when the pot was nearly foo, she said the magic words, Stop! Stop, wee porridge pot! Nay mere porridge, please, that's the lot! They scooped out the porridge into their bowls and ate it all up. And oh, it was lovely! 
absolutely perfect. They didn't even need to add to it. Mary's was creamy and sweet because she liked sugar and cream in hers and her mammy's bowl of porridge was salty because that's the way she liked it. But it was perfect every time. And because the pot was magic, it meant they could invite their neighbours and friends over for breakfast and their bowls of porridge were served magically just the way they liked it too. Some had fruit oh, in theirs, some had blabs of jam, and some didn't hate only sugar or salt at all. Mary and her mam never felt hungered again. Whoever. That is near the end of the story. Yen day, Mary went out to play while her mammy did some cleaning. About lunchtime, Mary's mammy felt hungers, so she put her magic porridge pot on the stove and said the magic words. Cook, cook wee porridge pot. Make me some porridge, piping hot. And while she waited for it to cook, she carried on with the cleaning. Then she met her neighbour passing by when she was putting out the washing and they started blathering. Mary's mam forgot all about the magic porridge pot being on. The magic porridge pot bubbled and shuggled on the stove until eventually the porridge comes spilling out the tap. Then it felt the room. Then it started to spill out the door and into the streets. Folk were wading through it, no share what was going on. The porridge flooded the streets until it came a river. Mary came home to see three dogs, a cuddy, a cat and a coon mare floating down the street on a river of porridge. Her mam had noticed Banu but couldn't mind in her panic what the magic words were to switch the magic off. She was yelling all sorts of things. Oh, stop mucking porridge, Mr. Pot. Oh, that's not it. Eh, stop the porridge. Oh, name air, please. And so on. Mary came wading into the kitchen and shouted the wrecked words. Stop, stop we porridge, Pot. Name air porridge, please, that's the what. And the magic porridge pot stopped mucking porridge. And oh, what a moger! The porridge was all over the village. Folk were good and worked together to clean it up, but no afore they had a bit of fun pluttering about in it. Some folk rowed boats in it, some folk guddled in it and made porridge sculptures, and some folk pit on their dickers and went for a swim in it. Oh, they had good fun. Best of all, nobody in the village ever went hungered again as we Mary and her mother, I shared their magic porridge pot with folk that needed it. Scottify, in which Susie challenges Alan to write a song about a Scots word. Hi, Alan. Hi, yeah, Susie. How are you doing? I'm oh, very well. Yourself? I'm fine. Do you ken what happened this month? Oh, tell me. 
Well, this month we have found ourselves in a democracy with the Scottify Challenge. Oh, that's exciting. So what's happened? Well, we've put it up on the Facebook page, what people's favourite Scots words are. And we had a, quite a selection. Oh, aye. And guess what the favourite one is? Oh, was it something lovely like Kuri? No. Oh, was it something exciting like Tapsaltiri? No. Oh, well, go on then, tell me. It was... Bahuki! Oh, for goodness sake. Okay, leave it with me. There is a laddie, he's the image of his daddy, and his name is Kenny Kenetal. He will correct you in the minute that he's met you, he's a pity, oh, a heap the ball. He thinks he's better than the wisest old professors He'll beat them with his common sense A periwig maliri gets his facts or tapsaltiri But he blurts them out with confidence And he speaks out his bahookie, 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 bahookie His bahookie, 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 bahookie A fact and he will make it into something really glake It'd be the proudest smile you've ever seen he thinks he's canny, teaching sucking eggs to granny, while his granny only rolls her in. There's not to do, you see, we can, he will pursue ye, and he'll ask ye if you want to bet. He wants to shout about his facts and never doubt them, cause he found them on the internet, where they talk at their bahooky, 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 their bahooky, bahooky, bahooky. Just grant to be so sure To think your thoughts are true and pure But if ye never pause to wonder Where to scunner and you'll talk at your Bahuki, 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 Bahuki Your Bahuki, 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 Bahuki Your Bahuki, 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 Bahuki Your Bahuki, Bahuki, Bahuki Ricky and the Pirates. It was a Saturday forenoon, and Ricky was on his way to his father's flat. It was a bit of a weekend ritual. Breakfast we maw, pack in our nicht bag, and march the fifteen blocks across Toon. Ricky's maw would have been glad to drive him, but he liked the walk for twa good reasons. First, it gied him time to hink, to clear his heed and to wonder what kind of fettle his paw would be in this week. And second, the whack took him by the library. Now, if it was a grand day, or if Paul had promised some kind of tripute, Ricky would pass the library with a fond nod, but mere often than no, he'd nae reason to hurry, and he could nip on in for a cheeky half hour. The library was Ricky's favourite place in the hail world, because it seemed to him to hod the hail world inside it. There was a wain section, which was bra, 
and Ricky Daffin curl up on a beanbag with a Tintin adventure or a copy of Harry Potter, but he was just as happy wandering round the other shelves. There was travel books, science books, history, geography, horror, romance. In the library, it didn't matter if it was blattering down outside or blowing a hoolie. It didn't matter if he'd had a stooshy with his ma for leaving the house, or if his father hadn't spoke to him since last weekend. In the library, it was aye warm and peaceful, and Ricky's mind could cast off on adventures to distant lands and far-off times. And look, here he was, duking through the big glass door and into the shush and mutter of the library. Mrs Anderson, the librarian, gave him a wee wink as he came in, and he grinned back. Sometimes he'd just be after a wee donner, eyeing up the covers and imagining what might be inside, but no the day. The day, Ricky kent exactly what he was after. Last Saturday, his een had been caught by a big bonny copy o' Treasure Island, all filly gorgeous pictures, and he'd got sucked on in. He was already on board the Hispaniola with Jim Hawkins, Captain Smollett and the rest, when he'd had to head for his father's house, a heed foo of strange and beautiful new words, and the image o' a wise, kind, wan-legged sailor by the name o' Long John Silver. Now, I dinna ken whether you've ever read Treasure Island. If you haven't, you should. But I'd best gi a wee spoiler alert at this point. You see, old Long John isn't exactly what he seems, charming as he is, and he'd stick a dirk in your back as soon as look at ye. Only why, Ricky didn't ken this yet, as he hout the book off the shelf, carried it over to the beanbags and curried in. He found his place, and in nae time at all he was back on the open seas, hunting for treasure wi' his new pals. The library dissolved around him, and the world outside was drowned in the high seas o' Ricky's imagination. And there was Long John, respected by his men, brave and smart. Now, I couldn't tell you if it was the warmth of the library or the weariness o' a week o' school, the weight o' the book in his horns, but something set Ricky's eyelids to droopin' there in the wain's nuke. And a four-hour lang, he was fast asleep and dreaming o' wild foreign shores. Ricky couldn't say how lang he'd slept when his eyelids finally flicked open, but one thing was for sure: he was going to be late to his pa's house. The library was in darkness and deed silent. "What?" cried Ricky, rubbing his een. "How did nobody give me a shugle?" He leaped to his feet and dashed to the door, but it was locked and the street outside was deserted. Oh, man, my double him a guts for garters. Back he ran, past the reception desk, hunting high and low for another way out. He'd a notion there was a fire escape somewhere, but he couldn't find his way about in the dark, and it wasn't lying afore he'd tripped out a chair and gone sprawling on the flare. This is rotten, he gasped, his hair thumping in his chest. I can't bide here or nicht. Feeling recht sorry for his cell, Ricky got up and dusted himself down. And that's when an oory sound came to his lugs. Footsteps. Coming down the stair for the flare where they kept the reference books. So there was somebody else stuck in here too. Ricky was about to shout out when he noticed that there was something guy strange about the steps. Every second yin sounded weird and hollow and wooden. And then... Stepping into a shaft of moonlight that streamed in through a high windy came a figure that made Ricky's breath catch in his thrapple. 
for there, in the moon's cold illumination, stood the weather-worn, keen-eyed shape o' Long John Silver. He'd on a lying blue jacket, brass buttons glinting and skinkling, and a battered tricorn hat like something straight out the history books. This is impossible, Ricky whispered to his cell, banjaxed and bumbazled by the spectacle afore him. Long John stood on the stairs, casting a lying black shaddy, and peering left and right like a man scanning a far horizon. In Ricky's mind, Long John was a bluff and kindly soul, aye ready be a compliment and full lichtsome crack. But the fella before him had a hardness to him that fear made Ricky's skin creep, and he was fairly sure he didn't want to be spotted. Well, as you can surely guess, poor Ricky was fizzing with fear and confusion, and his senses were all turned up to ten. And though his gaze was fixed upon the one-legged man afore him, a prickling in the nape of his neck tilt him that this was neither half of his troubles. He was suddenly sure that there was somebody a-hinting. A stealthy step, a breath o' air, the faintest creak o' a flarebeard. There was another presence, creeping up behind. My imagination, it's just my imagination, Ricky thought, trying to slow his thundering heart with sheer force of will, when a rough horn grabbed his shooter, spun him round, and drew an accidental gasp of fear for his oh. moo. Now then, my lad. The voice was harsh, but the face at Camphy was harsher. Ricky was confronted with a fearsome fizzog, cruel grey in a neb that looked like it might have been punched mere than yints, and a moo full of brun and broken teeth. Out of this grin and gub come breath nay better than Ricky's pet dugs, and Ricky felt his knees turn to Julie and Ethan. I've been searching for my treasure for long and weary years, boy, and I reckon you're the cove to lead me to it. I... Ricky stammered. None of that, my lad, hissed the ugsome creature. You'll help hold his royal hands out, or you'll feel the bite of his blade. Ricky looked down in horror to see a glint of steel in the moonlight. What nightmare was this? He'd know the slightest notion of where only treasure might be. Just then, for the stare ahint them, a voice as rough and rich as sun-warm sand cried out, Down, lad! And Ricky dropped it to the flare in conflummixment. There was a flash, and a bang, and a blood-curdling scream. The sword that Ricky had felt at his gut landed on the flare aside him with a clatter, and the body of Israel's hands followed it a second after. Frozen in shock, Ricky heard the hurtling gate come down the stair. Afore he kent what was happening, Long John Silver stood aside him and offered him a horn up. You, You shot him! cried Ricky, pointing to where the pirate had fallen, only to see that there was nobody there. Israel's hands had vanished in the murk. It was you or him, my young friend, said Long John with a wink, and I couldn't stand by and let a likely-looking lad like you fall to the likes of Israel's hands. He patted Ricky's back in a friendly fashion, and for a peery moment Ricky thought he'd follow this brave old soul anywhere. But then the friendly horn took a hod of Ricky's shooter in a grip that could crack walnuts, and Long John leant in close. Now then, he said, what was old Israel asking of you, lad? The voice was hung out and sharp, and there was but little friendliness in it now. Ricky gulped. Eh, 
He was asking me about some treasure, he said. Silver's eyes narrowed. Oh, yes, he said. And what did you tell him? Nathan at all, said Ricky. I, I didn't ken ocht about ony treasure. Long John straightened up. Maybe that's true and maybe it ain't, he said, casually tucking his musket to his belt. But I've been a-seeking of this treasure for more years than I can count. And if there's a chance you can guide me to it, then guide me you shall. And with that, he jabbed the pistol into Ricky's back and shouted, March! Now Ricky's mind was burling. This was madness, pure and simple, but he'd the frictsome thought that the burly pirate ahint him wasn't open to a reasonable chat. What'll he do when I can't help him, he thought, and Nano the answers were comforting. They wove their way around the shelves, passing in and out to the moonlicht for them, as the pirate saftly sang, Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Afore lying, they were passing the wain's nuke, and there on the flare, just as he'd left it, the copy of Treasure Island lay open. That's when inspiration struck. Wait, cried Ricky, I day ken where the treasure is. Look! It's right here. And he bent and lifted the book into his hands. Yarr, cries Silver, give it here. Then, without really kenning what he was doing, Ricky did exactly what he was asked. He spun on his heel and slammed the book shut across Silver's greedy face. With a yell of frustration, the old buccaneer shriveled like a crisp packet on a bonfire and was slurped into the book, which fell back to the flare, smoking quietly. Son! Son, are you recht? Ricky sat up, blinking his een. It was daylight. He was slumping on a beanbag, and old Mrs. Anderson was leaning out him with a kindly look. I think you must have dozed off, son, she smiled. You were shouting out in your sleep, and, well, you can, this is a library, so we... Ricky looked around him in stone-cold bumbazelment. What? How? Looking down, he saw a familiar book lying by his side. Mrs. Anderson picked it up. Treasure Island, eh? she said. That's one of my favourites. How about you borrow it, son? Then you can read it at home. Home? Ricky minded what he was meant to be doing in a flash. He jumped up, shuggling his cell out of his dwam, and smiled. Eh, no, thanks, he said. I think I've read enough of that, yin. And with a cheery wave, he headed out onto the street and set off at a pelt for his father's house. Shug the Dug Love to sing A woo 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 Love to sing more than anything A woo 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 
He would sing in the clodgy. He would sing on the stairs. He'd sing to the budgie. He'd sing anywhere. A woo! He'd sing when he was canty and sing when he was sad. His family loved him, even when he was bad. Yin nicked when the moon was bricked and foo. Shug sang out his loudest. A woo! He closed his in, hodded up his head. Oh, Shug! shouted his family. Can you no hod your wished? His family did love him, but they couldn't get rest, so they put Shug in the garden thinking it best. Maybe he'll get distracted and play with his toys. Maybe that would stop Shug from making that noise. Shug had no idea he was doing their dinger. Shug thought he was a fantouche singer. In the garden, Hutchin was snaffling at the grun, looking for tasty treats like slaters and worms. Shug says to Hutchin, I'll be tell to hide my wish, but I've no got you. Hutchin shrugs his shoulders and says, I've only got a snaffler and jaggies on my skin. Shug looks up and sees Hulet fleeing silently in the air. There's a wise bird, thought Shug. She'll tell me I'm sure. Shug says to Hulet, I've been told to hide my wish, but I've no got you. Hulet thinks and says, I've only got a twit too and bonny feathers on my skin. Shug sighs to his sail, then finds Puddock in a puddle. She had a mouthful of midges and was enjoying a guddle. Shug says to Puddock, I'll be chilled to hold my wish, but I've no got you. Puddock gulps and says, Well, I've only got a rabbit and shiny green skin. Shug smiled and sighed. The moon was foo and bricked. Shug held up his head and sang, A woo-woo-woo-woo-woo into the nicked. A bedroom window flew open in the next door's house and the old wifey that stayed there shouted, Shug, will ya shush? You've been listening to Urwee Podcast with Susie Briggs and Alan McClure. All stories, songs and adaptations by Susie and Alan. And the music and production was also by Alan. We'd like to thank everyone that supported us through liking and sharing our work. And if you've bought us a coffee or joined the Patreon, then we're doubly grateful. We appreciate it, folks. It keeps us going. Hope you've enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>